Hey there, my name is Ben Ramos, and you are listening to the Rise Church Podcast. We are a church in southeastern Idaho that is dedicated to sound biblical theology, coupled with the authentic power of God. Our true hope is that this podcast will help you to continue to grow and taking steps in your relationship with Jesus. I hope you feel empowered today. I hope you feel encouraged today, and I hope you feel uplifted. God bless you. Enjoy the podcast. What does the Bible actually speak about women in ministry? Because if God is producing fruit in lives of men and women, but women aren't allowed to step into ministry, this is a, this is a, a, big, a big belief. We see this in a lot of places. I feel like this may be even like a, a majority belief uh, within the, the church at large. Um, That, that women aren't allowed to minister. And so here's what we need to know. We need to know what God says. If God says women should not be in authority and ministry over men, that's what we need to live by, no matter how I feel about it. But we need to know what God actually says in the Bible. And we need to how we do that is by actually understanding the, the context of what's actually being spoken. And so let me just break this, break this down a little bit. If you want to uh, go a little bit deeper, um, this is basically just a reapplication of uh, a, a podcast done by my good friend, Pastor Ben Dixon. And um, he, he does it in two segments alongside with Dr. Steve Schell. Um, and so you can find this information at, uh, if you just search Conversations with Ben Dixon, uh, it will come up on Google or whatever uh, search engine that you choose to, choose to use. But again, we, we're a church that believes we have to function according to what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say? Let me introduce to you a couple of different Christian uh, ways that, uh, Christian perspectives of women in, in ministry. Uh, now that goes to say, outside of Christianity, there are a couple of different ways that people view um, women, um, period, um, through sexism, um, through misogyny, right, male, male only. They, every woman was created to be under the submission of, of every male, right, is, is an extreme aspect of it. Um, and then you have the other side that's combating that, which is feminism which would say that every woman is supposed to be an authority over every male. And obviously there are different definitions, so if that steps on your toes for any definition for how you choose to define it, just know I'm, I'm allowing to, there to be some, uh, some openness in those definitions. And really a lot of this controversial stuff, it does come down to the definitions of how we choose to define something. And so the definition I'm working from for one of these Christian perspectives is called complementarianism. If we could pull up that slide for me. Complementarianism. Where men and women have different but complementary roles and responsibilities in marriage, life, and religious leadership. And you can just begin to ask your question, where, where, do, I, where do I land on this? What do I believe about this? Just baseline. Obviously, the next step is always going to be well, what does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? And uh, 
as we move from this definition into uh, more of a ministry aspect of it, um, these, the complementarian would hold the belief that women can serve in ministry, but they must serve in ministry under the authority of man. They cannot have any authority over a, a male. Um, they get this from literal conversations, uh, literal uh, interpretations of scriptures like these. And it, it is rather convincing when you read them. And let me just read them to you. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. As in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. That's pretty straightforward. Let's keep reading. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Let a, woman, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Let me hit another one. Titus 2, 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves with too much wine. They are to teach what is good. They are to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, to be kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So these are pretty straightforward scriptures as we read them literally. Um, there's also a part of that argument, uh, the concept that Jesus didn't have women apostles, uh, the belief that we don't see women in leadership in the Old Covenant um, and don't really see it in the New Covenant also. And so these are all arguments you would hear um, from Bible-believing, Jesus-loving um, people, uh, and that would be the generalized uh, uh, camp of complementarianism. Uh, the other side of it would be what I call, or, or what is referred to as egalitarianism. Egalitarianism um, also agrees that men and women are equal in personhood, but it holds that there are no gender-based limitations in the role of men and women. Now, let's bring a little bit more complication into the issue, just because I don't feel like it's complicated enough. Um, there are those people uh, who would believe that uh, th they would stand as complementarian in marriage, this is personally where I stand, complementarian in marriage, that is to say that God has defined some roles within a marriage that are supposed to be, like headship, right? Like submission, like loving your wife as Jesus loved the church. There are some very specific things that the Bible charges to uh, male and female within a marriage relationship. But at the same time, I also stand egalitarian in, in ministry, meaning that both male and female can have the different roles within the, uh, within the body of Christ as the Lord would empower and uh, equip each of them. So this is the uh, perspective I'm going to share a little bit more on. I think it is really, really important um, that we view these scriptures that I just uh, communicated, that we view these scriptures in the context of who is actually writing it? Who is it being written to? What is, here's if you like to uh, memorize things with the same letter. Um, what's the context, what's the culture, and what's the command? 
We can't just open up the scripture and point to a verse and say this is what this means. It doesn't work like that. Um, to further break this down, you look at the whole concept of the creation of man and woman coming together equally created before God. Then you have prophecies throughout scriptures of how women, of, uh, women would be empowered by the spirit of God to prophesy and to do signs and wonders by the spirit of God. Um, and then you get to Acts chapter two where this actually became a reality where Peter said, that is now, it is, it is here right now, and we get this further established as uh, Paul would write in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I wanna spend some time um, continuing just to, to build this, this argument together as we uh, start off in creation. I think creation's a good place to, to start off with, yeah? It's kind of in the beginning of things. So Adam was created, but although that God said that this is, this, this is very good, I did a good job, this is very good. Uh, he also said that he was not fit to be alone, that he needed a, a, a helper, and so all the animals come through, and they're like, nope, the aardvark is not the right choice for a helper fit for man. Um, nose is a little bit too big, so we're going to create Eve. And so he gives uh, Adam a good little nap. If you're looking for good theology on taking naps, this is where that would begin. He removes the rib and makes Eve from it, and so Adam then becomes the source of, of Eve. He's, she is created from that which was a part of, of Adam. And from, this, um, uh, uh, from this, this fact kind of flows this biblical truth of the source of uh, within a marriage and the headship uh, in a marriage coming from man into, into female. Um, and... At this point, there are, are obviously distinctions made between man and woman. They're charged to do some different things while tending to the garden and ruling over it, but they were to rule together. They were to uh, exercise authority and dominion over all of creation together, man and, and woman. So Adam comes first, then Eve came from Adam, they're equally made. This is the whole big idea. They have different, differing roles, but they have the same importance. Someone say amen. Amen. They have the same importance. Male and female are just important to God. This is a pretty, pretty easy one to, to come to. Um, and as we move toward the perfection of, of heaven, uh, this is actually what we're moving back towards, is similar to the garden, where there are they are equally important. We are equally important. That said, equality and roles are different. Agreed? Right? The, the worth of somebody is different uh, than the role that they play. And so if roles were the same, uh, on our team here as like a church team, we would be ineffective. Uh, I believe that we're all just as important together as we work together uh, with Pastor Steve, Pastor Cindy doing their part, me doing my part, right? Uh, each, each of the different leaders doing their different part, but we're, we're all just as important. 
And so this is the whole concept uh, I just want us to really grab a hold of in terms of the way that God created male and, and female. Um, as we move into, from creation into the old covenant, true or false? This is a question. True or false? Women never led men in the Old Testament. Some of us know our Bibles. Amen. We've got Miriam. She was a prophetess who helped lead the people of Israel during the time of Moses. We've got Deborah, who was not only a prophetess, but also a judge over all of Israel. Was all of Israel containing men? Yes, absolutely. Esther, queen um, and woman of great influence who had authority over many men. So one of the reasons that we uh, probably don't see more women in senior leadership roles in the Old Testament is probably because of the fall. It's probably because this brokenness. Now there's this understanding that I've, I've got some power. And what does humanity like to do with power? We like to usurp that over other people. And so um, we see this happening over men, over women, um, with bullying and sexism and all of this type of stuff. We see this historically just taking place. We know this is as a fact. But please note this, that while there are a smaller number of women leaders within the Old Testament, there is not a single verse or, uh, uh, or a, a, singer, a single chapter that is disapproving in, in words towards female leaders. There's just not. You, you won't find it. This isn't something that God set in, set in place. And um, this actually sets the stage quite well for what happens when we come into the New Testament. So we see equality at creation. We see into the Old Covenant, we do see some female leaders, um, but we see this equalness being broken. Um, and then we move into the, the New Testament, the New Covenant, as Jesus is, Jesus is showing up. We're excited. We like the New Testament, right? Jesus is coming on the scene. He is going to set the captives free. He's going to shift things in what direction? Towards hell or towards heaven? He's going to move things towards this heavenly perspective. There's a focus. There's a goal. There's um, a destination. Here's where we're going. It's called heaven, and this is where all things are made right. With Jesus is prophesied this shift coming back to the way that uh, things were in the garden, right? A Hebrew concept is the whole idea of Gan Eden, going back to the, the state that it was in the garden, the way that things would have been, uh, the way that things were created perfectly by God, um, and then they were broken by, by sin. And so during this old covenant, it's prophesied by people like Joel and a number of others that there would come a season, and that season would be called the last days. Okay, and in those last days, something would take place, this event where the Holy Spirit would be poured out from on high and be poured out and made available for all mankind. That's young, that's old, that's women, that's, that's male, that's rich, that is poor, right? So I'm gonna say all mankind. So this was prophesied about in the Old Covenant and, and we see this taking place in the New Covenant because Jesus does what he says he's going to do, right? And so in the Gospels, Jesus is saying, the New Covenant is coming. The New Covenant is coming. And I, lo I love this because he doesn't just say it's coming, but he's also doing this. I wanna show you what it's gonna look like. And so Jesus goes from place to place finding people like Mary, Martha, and the other Mary. He's hanging out with all of these ladies, with, uh, with ladies at, at wells. Um, he's sticking up for the adulterous woman. He's saying, it's going to look like this. 
It's going to be restored back to the way that it is supposed to be. So the foul way that women are treated and demeaned as a result of the fall is coming to an end because I'm dismantling the works of the enemy. And so this is what Jesus examples, he shows, he leads his disciples in, and we continue to look forward to that promise. As we get into Acts chapter one, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna go to the Father, and now is that time. The last days is about to get started. The last days is about to, about to begin, but I want you to wait for it. Go to Jerusalem and wait for these last days to uh, come into effect, and then it happens in Acts chapter two. There's a pillar of fire, which the people of God would recognize the pillar of fire as what? The presence of God. The presence of God is now dwelling in humanity. It is poured out. The last days do begin right then and right there. And so the Holy Spirit under the new covenant, which um, is what we live under today, right here, right now, the Holy Spirit has gone from being available to the few, right? Those judges, those kings, those prophets, now being available to all. He went from being with us to now being in us. He went from a temporary, oh Lord, don't take your spirit from me, to an enduring, I've got the seal of God, which is the Holy Spirit in my life. Everywhere that I go, he goes. And so from this moment on, it's really cool, there's an increased emphasis of women in ministry in the New Testament. We have ladies like Dorcas and Lydia and Phoebe and Priscilla, actually walking out what we saw, which was prophesied about, that the Holy Spirit would empower them, man and woman, to minister. And so we see this increase where it's, no, not just just the men, that, um, and the women aren't just ministering just, just to women, or as some churches actually created out to be, where uh, women can minister to men, but they have to be about this tall, right? There's a riding height. (laughs) Yeah. So um, if you're looking for where the Bible indicates that a woman can have authority and has to stop having authority based on the child's height or their age, you're not gonna find it. It's not in the Bible because that's not biblical. What's the big idea? Um, We see equality at creation. We see the old covenant. And then uh, we see the new covenant. Things are equalizing, but it's still broken, and we're moving towards fixing it. But we see this increase. Now, let's take a few minutes, and um, so that's the whole concept of women being empowered by God for ministry throughout the entirety of the Bible. Say, what did you do at church today? We went through the whole Bible. We just, creation all the, all the way through. That's, uh, that's what we did. Now, let's hit those problem, those problem passages, and I want to continue to call us to look towards, give me a moment. Excuse me. Um, And really, excuse me, really pay attention to the context of what's going on in these scriptures. So let's return again to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 34. We read, as in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but be in submission, as the law also says. Now, the literal meaning of this, if you were just open your Bible and read this, is when we show up at church, ladies, you gotta zip your lips. 
okay? Now, this is a literal interpretation, and people hold the meaning of this as, as such, but how many churches do you actually go to where women don't speak at all? So, you, you don't find a lot of them, by the way. That was a rhetorical question. Um, and it, that is just to make the point of it seems rather hypocritical to choose, pick and choose which parts of that you want to follow and which parts of that you, you don't want to follow. If this is actually what Paul is saying, though, then we've got a serious problem in Scripture. If this is actually what Paul is intending to mean, uh, we're gonna have some problems like trusting this because this is contradicting the rest of the Bible in, in what we see God doing with, the, with his, his spirit and empowering. empowering. So why, why would Jesus' example and, and instruct that women should expect that the Holy Spirit was gonna come on them if he knew that Paul was just gonna later say that they ought to shut their mouths? How did people like Chloe and other major female leaders in the church lead without speaking in the church? Like, that's powerful. It's a joke. <laughs> didn't. Didn't happen. Why did Peter quote Joel as the prophecy being fulfilled that women are gonna be empowered by God to lead? So, in addition, why was it okay for Paul to say just a couple chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, 4 and 5. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So there's already the expectation within the church meeting that women are going to be speaking and they're going to be praying. So how do we get to this understanding? It's called reading it out of context. It happens a lot in church and we're working to fix that. So Right, and that's an issue if that's what Paul's saying because then we're wondering, is, is Paul schizophrenic? Right, is he just jumping all over and having these random thoughts? No, no. We need to look into culture, context, and command. So what is, what is the culture? What's, what's going on? Why is Paul writing this letter in, of 1 Corinthians? This actually sheds a lot of light. Paul's writing to the people of Corinth, and they are messed up. Someone say messed up. They are messed up. They're going crazy. They're doing a lot of crazy stuff. And Paul is correcting these specific chaotic things that are going on. Right? The, the speaking in tongues, the shata all over. And people are just coming in and they're like, what in the world is going on? We have no idea what's, going, what, what's happening. That's because that's chaos. That's not of God. That's not what God had intended for this. He's, he, he's saying in chapter 11, hey, listen, y'all are getting drunk on that communion. Like, literally, you're, you're, you're getting drunk off of drinking the communion. And then the people who haven't eaten yet and all this stuff and they have to work all day are getting there and there's nothing left for them. This is a problem. Then there's the chaos with speaking in tongues. And so Paul is writing this letter to correct a lot of the chaos that is taking place. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, Again, now in verse 26, we continue to grow in this context. It says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Come on, let, let all things be done for the building up. 
for the building up of the body. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be one or two or three, right? Again, he's correcting specific things because all the people are doing all the things all at once. And he's bringing, bringing correction. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is being said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so this is the, the clear command that God is making for the structure of the people of God coming together. This has to be in order. There has to be peace. It cannot be chaotic. We've, there's got to be a purpose behind what we're, what we're doing. Paul's saying, when you come together, it seems like everyone just wants to throw in their part wherever. And then there are also women doing some things. In 1 Corinthians 14, 34. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. So with this context, what are we understanding? That currently, there's a bunch of crazy stuff taking place. And so he's speaking to very specific crazy stuff taking place and saying, the craziness, we, we gotta we take a time out on, on the craziness. It says, for they're not uh, permitted to speak. So is this saying, all women and all churches for all time should never speak? No. It's saying those women who are de- doing these things, just as he's saying those people who are prophesying and going crazy and not working towards the unity of the body, and those people who are speaking in tongues, right? This is, this is the context of of what's being communicated here. It's not every woman must submit to every, every male. We, we jump to these, these conclusions. Listen, we, we all have a role to play, right? We all have a role to play within, within the body of Christ. Let's hit another verse, and then we'll uh, work towards wrapping it up. Um, Laura, if you wanna go ahead and, and come, and that'll help scoop me along a little bit. First, uh, First Timothy chapter two, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So the theology of male always having authority over female um, is, is come to by taking these groups of scriptures, reading them out of context and deriving the belief that men should always have authority over women. And, uh, and, and now this is what we believe based off of an inaccurate understanding of what's actually uh, being communicated. So it says, let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. So what's the context? Paul is writing to Timothy, or some of us call him Timmy. Hey, Timmy! Timothy's one of his disciples. Paul was heading to Macedonia, and we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that Timothy stays there to help build this church. I like this. To build this church up. It's going to be difficult building it. There's going to be issues coming along. And so what Paul is doing in this letter is writing to Timothy, specifically saying, all right, I, I know the issues that are going on there in Ephesus. 
I, I know what's going on and allow me to help you, help coach you essentially. Let me, let me help coach you through some of these things that are going on. A little bit of background, uh, Ephesus was the place of one of the largest Artemis, uh, the goddess of fertility worship sites. Um, and so what's going on is there are people giving their lives to Jesus who are, can we get the keys on, if we could? Um, there we go. So we've got people who are being saved. This is good. They're being saved out of what's going on in culture, and they're coming out of the worship of Artemis. We've got Jews and Gentiles coming out of this background of worshiping Artemis, and there's this real struggle because when we, me putting myself as, as these women, right? When we worship Artemis, this is how we're protected during childbirth. And so uh, how are we gonna be okay? This is how we've always done things. We've gone and give our offerings to Artemis and we've been okay during childbirth. And so there's this, a lot of this tension, right? Because sometimes we bring stuff with us into our walk with Jesus, right? And we need to weed some of that stuff out. And so Paul's helping here. Yeah, let's, let's weed some of, of that stuff out. So some of the things that he warns them of is he warns, uh, Paul warns Timothy of those false teachers. There are people teaching false things to, to the people as you read through Timothy. He charges them to wage good warfare. I like that. Someone needs to hear that this morning. It's time to wage some good warfare. In chapter two, he encourages a culture of prayer. He says, pray, pray for all people. And then in 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger, without quarreling. Likewise, also the woman should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire. Anybody wearing Prada in here? Anybody wearing gold? Anybody wearing pearls? Why aren't we making a fuss about this stuff? Because we understand that part in context and then we choose to remove the other stuff to fit how we, how we feel that it should be interpreted. Let a woman learn quietly in submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So again, this literal understanding of this says, well, all women everywhere should never uh, exercise authority over, over males. When really what's going on in the culture in this moment is that there are specific women here, and uh, the word that Paul uses here. Um, for remaining quiet is the Greek word hesychia. It's having contentious arguments. And so specifically what's taking place is there's these ladies there who in the middle of preaching, in the middle of worshiping Jesus, they're coming up and they're just like, hey, well, what are we gonna do about Artemis? What, what, how, do, how are we gonna be okay with, with, uh, uh, with our babies? What, and specifically just raising up these arguments in the middle of everything. And Paul's saying, yeah, you gotta shut those ladies up. It's disruptive. It's taking away from the attention of, of Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, don't permit them. Don't permit them. And then Paul continues to go in and, and, and say in verse, uh, in verse 13, for Adam was firmed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. She will be saved through childbearing. And so what it's saying is we've, we've got to come under the authority that God is, has, placed, has placed there got to, um, and, and through that coming under of headship and of source, that is going to be the way that God is going to bless you. It's God who's going to protect you during this childbearing. That's why this is specifically brought up in, in this text. So allow me to attempt to tie all this together. I know there's a lot of, a lot of information here. Uh, Paul is Specifically saying, yeah, we, we got to quiet those women up because you're building a church in Ephesus where there's specific things going on. Those were the specific things. But as we have this contextual understanding, we understand that he's not taking away from what the rest of the Bible already declares and already makes clear that God is empowering women and men to serve in ministry. What if, maybe if we weren't so quick to cut 50% of the population out of God's plan, we might just see revival here in Southeast Idaho. Maybe if we recognize that both men and women are created equal in the image of God and both empowered by him to destroy the works of Satan and advance the kingdom of God, we might just see the grounds of our region shake in holy awakening. We might just see it. But this is calling us to a different framework. This is calling us to stomp out what the enemy is seeking to, to hush down. This is, this is why we're building in the way that we're building, is we're trying to identify what is the empowerment that God is placing on individuals, and let's, let's empower them. Would you guys stand with me? Father, I pray uh, that as there would be any gaps in what I've communicated, that you would uh, just fill over them. But I, I, I pray that you would solidify the, the core of what I'm teaching here this morning. That we want to empower and release what you are empowering and have intended to be released. God, I, I believe that this is, is your way that from creation through the prophecies in the Old Testament to the fulfilling of the prophecies in the New Testament to the example after example of women in leadership and senior leadership that this would shift some of our perspectives and that we would more fully welcome in what it is that you're doing and what you've communicated time and time again. God, we're submitted to that. God, we thank you even just right now, that we would be refocusing on the fruit that you're producing. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, thanks again for tuning in with us today. I really do hope and pray that this message has been transformative in your life to help you to take steps in relationship with Jesus. If this has been a blessing to you, there are several things you could do in order to give honor where honor is due. Uh, We would love if you would give us a like, go ahead and give us a subscribe, go ahead and share us, tag us, uh, quote us, do all of those things in your social media feeds. We would be so blessed by that. If you have any more questions or need any more information about who we are, what we believe, or if you'd like to give towards the forwarding of ministry here through Rise Church, you can do so at www.risechurchid.org. God bless. Have a great week.